to Instructional Design Unleashed. I'm your host, Carolyn Wagner. I'm an instructional designer who gets bored easily, so I like trying new things. This podcast is your opportunity to come along for the ride. Learn with me, teach me, laugh with me when I crash and burn. We're in this together. This episode is about a guy called Steamer. We'll take him skating and find out why everyone calls him Steamer instead of his real name. Learn how music led him to become a hockey coach and uncover his greatest fear. Here's a hint, it's covered in hair. I recently worked on an instructional design project about the information new graduate students in the Faculty of Education receive when they start their program at UNB. From interviewing learners, I discovered that few of them had made contact with their faculty advisor to get, well, advice. Steamer is one of those advisors. While that project didn't allow for creating media to help students get to know their advisors, I still thought it would be a cool thing to do, so I've decided to do it anyway. And while I'm introducing you to Steamer, I'll be hauling you with me up the learning curve I experience in creating this podcast, because learning how to make a podcast is my other reason for creating this episode. I decided to meet with Steamer on the ice rink at University of New Brunswick's Aitken Center, which is next door to the Education Building, where he occupies the office that says Dr. Lyle Ham on the door. He's currently an associate professor whose area of expertise is leadership. Now, I knew the audio recording quality during the free public skating time would be terrible, but I wanted to get him on the ice anyway so I could hear some stories and record some cool skating sounds to use as transitions in my podcast, like this. When we got onto the ice, the very first thing he told me was about when he met a student from Honduras who was skating for the first time. And, and the coaching, and he had no helmet, no elbow pads, yeah. and it was evident that he'd never skated. Yeah. And so I screamed like a, a junior high teacher and said, get over here right now. And he crawled over to me from that bench. I said, where's your helmet? He said, I don't need a helmet. I said, how often have you skated? He said, my first time. And so I said, you're not going to skate here. Steamer started telling me all about his dad, who's been to Spain many times, he's fascinated by Don Quixote, he's run with the bulls, he drives a BMW in Flun Flon, Manitoba in the middle of winter. I come by storytelling and, and I guess adventure quite, you know, through yeah. him and through his life, right? So if he's the guy who runs with the bulls, how do you get the nickname Steamer? Well, I really don't know. The, the Is it story... short for something? No, no, I just, uh, the story of Steamer is quite benign in fact. I mean, I didn't know my name was Lyle till grade one. Okay, and so the story that I've heard two stories and dad, my uncle who came and visited us just in October, he said, how did you get named Steamer? Because I have my version. I said, well, here's the version I know. Uh I'll tell you the reality behind it, okay? The version I was told was when I was born and came, came home from the hospital with my mom. They started calling me Steamer immediately, like really? five or six days old, because my uncle, who had gone to her brother, who yeah. had gone to a movie that afternoon, there was a character in the movie called Big Steamer. Okay. He liked it, so he started calling me Little Steamer. Now that's <laughs> what I heard, and okay, and so my mom and dad called me Steamer right through. My oh, brother and hey. sister called me Steamer right through. All my dad's friends, who were all teachers, who we hung around with, yeah. called me Steamer. So I got the grade name. one. They said Lyle, <laughs> and I'm looking around for Lyle, and it was me. 
I like being called Steamer. I prefer to be called Steamer. I called the Prince Albert Public Library and got a research librarian to scan and send me images of the movie listings from the July 1965 Prince Albert Daily Herald. I really wanted to figure out which movie his uncle might have seen that had a character called Big Steamer. The closest I could find was a guy in the pajama party movie called Big Lunk. That's probably not right. So this is an ongoing mystery that will probably keep haunting me. If you have ideas, please send me a message and help me out. So the public skating time was finishing up and the goalie for the UNB Reds hockey team was waddling up to the bench to wait for Zamboni to clear the ice. Steamer chatted with him for a while and then we took off our skates and headed to his office where I knew we'd get better sound quality to record the rest of the interview. After the break, you'll hear about how it was actually music that got Steamer hooked on hockey. This podcast is sponsored by absolutely nobody, but this is the place where I need to insert a break after the first act of my three-act podcast so that you, the listener, can have a little break for your ears and your brain. Enjoy. Welcome back. You may notice that the audio quality of my narration is different and hopefully better than the rest of the podcast. The pros say the best quality is under a blanket fort, so the sound has nowhere to bounce around. I'm giving it a try. So, music and hockey. What's the connection for Steamer? So I understand your love of hockey started with a love of music. (laughs) I think my first hockey game was when I was about three. Okay, I I remember where we we were living at the time. I remember going going to the arena it seemed like a, a long trip to go to the rink, but it really wasn't. And the huge crowd, the Whitney Forum was probably, it could seat probably 2,000 people. And, uh, you know, going into an environment and watching the players skate around the ice and not understanding what they're doing. Mm. Like, wow, this is neat. I was there because my dad was babysitting the boys that night. Okay. But just being mesmerized by, by the colors, by the sounds. I remember people could smoke in arenas at that time. And I remember the, the blue haze that existed over the <laughs> ice surface. And, uh, you know, so then they'd have to clean the ice after the warm up, mm-hmm. and, and the players came on, they all lined up at the blue line, and the lights went down, right? And we all stood up, mm-hmm. sort of like, so my first idea, I guess, is of ritual. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you stand up and you, and you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but I think I think I must have known that it was important and to be quiet and not to talk and okay. just standing there and then oh Canada. Yeah. And we happened to be standing right underneath the Queen because those were like probably the worst seats, right? Way up high in okay, the uniform. Yeah. Yeah. His dad was a teacher in Flin Flon, Manitoba. When Steamer and his brother were little, they'd tag along to school on weekends when the gym was empty. His dad had a favorite story to tell about those times. And we would go with my father uh, down to the Creighton School where he taught, and he would have been in his third year by now, mm-hmm. and so he had access to the building. And we were tagging along with him, and uh, we knew where the gymnasium was, we knew where the equipment room was, and yeah. we always got hockey sticks, yeah. and we put the little nets out, and we played hockey. And yeah. so then we would, I don't know if it was me or my brother, we'd go and we'd shut the lights off, yeah. and it was just lights, it wasn't like, you know, you shut lights off, and it takes a while for them to come back on. You yeah. could actually click, click, click them on and off. Okay. And we'd stand there and we'd sing our, 
rendition of O Canada. And I, <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't imagine it was all the words, but okay. probably me humming and that. And I remember doing that. Yeah. And it was later when my dad would, would uh, focus on that and, ex- and accentuate that part of our childhood where, uh, where I started thinking of it as something that was important, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so then we went to hockey games all the time. Yeah. And uh, uh, we lived in the Creighton trailer court, which was in Creighton. And, and it was probably three or four miles away from the Whitney Forum, which was downtown or uptown in Flin Flon, mm-hmm. close to the mine. And, and we would get our allowance, my brother and I. Uh, my sister was not quite old enough yet. She's six years younger than me. And my brother's one year older than me. And, uh, you know, we would go to the bus stop. Yeah. The funny part about that, we were like, six and seven yeah your parents are trusting you know go to the bus stop yeah catch the bus go to the rink and get right back on the bus at 10 30 and get home at night six and seven there was a there was a student or a kid section right beside the flin flon bomber dressing room so these these guys are like carolyn these guys a lot of them went right to the nhl right from that league that was the western hockey league yeah yeah and so we saw these players on Friday and Saturday nights, play against like the Brandon Wheat Kings and the Medicine Hat Tigers, the Edmonton Oil Kings. Okay. I remember these teams through the early 70s and so, and you know, I remember it clearly and just remember wanting to play for that team, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so my brother and I, we played for all the, like the Tom Thumb or the Pee Wee Bombers and the Bantam Bombers and the Midget Bombers all the way up, okay. getting to that team. Yeah. I ended up playing for that team for two and a half years, I guess, well, you know, before okay. I went to college. And so yeah. that was a significant part of my uh, identity development and yeah. just my connection still to that hometown yeah. because yeah. we still go back there. Yeah. If you know anything about Canadian boys and men, you know that playing hockey growing up doesn't automatically set a person on a path to becoming a coach and a teacher. If that were the case, Canada would be overrun by teachers. I asked Steamer how he has experienced the connection between coaching and teaching. In education, teaching in a classroom and, and teaching a sport or coaching a sport, I mean, they work together very well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And again, we were talking about relationships earlier on. Mm-hmm. I never struggled in forming relationships with kids because I was always, you know, working with them and, and learning with them. and. And, uh, you know, as, as they were learning the skills I was trying to help them produce, I was learning how to coach with them and see if they could produce what I was trying to teach them how to produce it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, yeah. so it was, it was quite a natural for me to, to be part of that. Yeah, yeah. Now, you've coached some higher-up people. I've had the you? opportunity to coach uh, in junior B and, I've, and coached in hockey schools, and I coached five years for the State Trojans in Calgary. So that's, and that's in the same league that I played in for three years. Okay. And we're holding up three fingers here because that's our third straight championship. Wow. And when I took the courses in my doctoral program at the U of C, yeah. I was the assistant coach with the University of Calgary Dinos team. After the break, we'll find out about Steamer's greatest fear and how that fear has shaped his teaching and his research. a little more about what to expect from this podcast. I want to learn podcasting because I think it'll be a nice tool for my instructional design toolkit. I was in Rwanda recently to give a hand to a local non-governmental organization that was setting up setting up a computer-assisted learning program. 
Although I wasn't able to record any of the interviews I did with learners there, I may share some insights from that work as part of this podcast. I also plan to do more faculty profiles in the University of New Brunswick Education faculty so you can get to know some more of the people behind the lectures and the publications. Welcome back. If you get a chance to read any of Steamer's writing, you'll notice that it often features Bigfoot and the fear this monster evokes. As you listen to him describe this childhood fascination, you'll see clearly the roots of his love of reading and research. The whole idea of Bigfoot and Sasquatch came to me when I was eight years old. Okay, like, I mean, that's what, that's 1973. And my memory, my memory is this. We were getting ready for school. And over the radio, over CBC, there, there came, like, like an official news report. It said, uh, you know, like, an eight-foot Sasquatch has been spotted uh, just outside the Paw, Manitoba, by such and such a person. And so, I mean, you're trying to comprehend that. Like, yeah. first of all, eight feet. Okay, and, and so I must oh, have, yeah, I, you know, measurement. Yeah. That's big. So I turned to my dad, and what I remember is my dad was at, was at our little fridge in our trailer, and he had the door open, and, and I said, Dad, what's a Sasquatch? And he turned around and said, it's a great big monster like this, and, you know, and just tried to scare me. I said, oh, yeah. Dad, what the heck? Well, I was curious, and, uh, and uh, I went to our library in the Creighton School, mm-hmm. and I must have asked the librarian, do you have any books on Sasquatches? Yeah. She led me to like the children's section, <laughs> and I remember her pulling this book out. It was like an R.L. Stein book. Okay. And seriously, Carolyn, if you could imagine that this is the book cover, there's a camper right here <gasps> in a sleeping bag, lifting his head up, yeah. and there's like there's uh, coniferous trees, like yeah, the yeah, ones yeah. in Flintflon. I think I've seen this one. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and then the, the eight-foot Sasquatch is coming through. The campsite and the yeah. fire. Yeah. And I thought, are you kidding me? There's actually, <laughs> this is actually true? Well, I never looked at the forest the same at that yeah. point. And so at that point, my imagination is completely absorbed mm. with this idea. And so then I'd go to the Flintflon Library and I would look, I would read everything. I'd go to the Dewey Decimal System and pull out the cards. And, yeah. and sure enough, there were books on mysterious monsters and Bigfoot that I read every section I could. I did all my reports on Bigfoot. I wrote all my stories about Bigfoot or hockey, right? And, and I remember teachers just shaking their heads at me. Getting this PhD is a lot like chasing a freaking monster through a Canadian forest. You know, and sometimes yeah. it feels like that you're chasing something yeah. that's elusive. And so I've always kind of chased that metaphor or used it, as, used it as the basis of storytelling in my language arts classrooms. I've shown videos in terms of getting students to, to generate their own ideas in their writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used to teach a grade six uh, unit in in science on crime and investigation and so I would I would go into the into the schoolyard or into the garden and I'd form these big footprints and I'd take the kids out (laughs) 
And, I, and I'd say, well, look for some tracks here. What can you see? Yeah. And kids would say, well, look at these footprints, Mr. M. Holy cow. <laughs> and so then we'd get our plasticine of Paris, and we'd make, okay. we'd make uh, casts of them and all that. Okay. And then I'd have them write about those experiences. And, yeah. and what the kids could produce was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So I, I would use it as, as, uh, as part of my pedagogy. Yeah. My fear is, is chasing the right research questions at this time uh, and getting it right mm -hmm. and uh, you know, making a difference, mm -hmm. you know, making a difference and, uh, in, in the lives of some people. Uh, so you're saying you basically have the same questions any grad student has going into their research? For sure. Yeah. I, in fact, I don't, I don't really separate my time and research that much from being a grad student, right? Mm -hmm. The same perplexities, the same mm -hmm. complexities are are there. Mm -hmm. You know, so having been mentored very well, like through through my graduate studies, both at the master's level and at the PhD level, it uh, it's just as complex and confusing. Maybe it's because I I do qualitative research. I don't know. And there's <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes into that in terms of interviewing people and how many people do you interview and how many is enough and, <laughs> and you know what's the best way to analyze this data and all that yeah. so those fears are still very much present mm. but I've come to accept those fears as friends now before he did his PhD and came to New Brunswick Steamer was a teacher and a school administrator in southern Alberta he worked for quite a while in the town of Brooks he described the experience there that set him on the path to where he is now. At that time, that's when the meatpacking plant had really expanded and, and people from all over the world were coming and their children were coming and I, I had kids from all over the planet in some of my classes, right? And I had not prepared. Okay. How do you prepare for that? Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't taken an ESL class. I, I hadn't learned anything about cultural relevant pedagogies. Mm. I was just interested in my leadership courses and and they were touching on those subjects superficially, I guess, okay. but nothing in depth. And one afternoon I realized I couldn't teach when this little girl came up to me and and we we got we got caught in kind of a communication trap. She couldn't really understand me and I couldn't understand her and she mm slammed her fist on my desk and said, Mr. Ham, you have to learn to teach me. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that is, that is how it happened. And at that point, it created some, I guess, some anxiety in me mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, I've been an effective teacher and an administrator up to that point mm -hmm. in my mind. And now I was starting at ground zero. to Instructional Design Unleashed. Check back soon for the next episode. My signature move is to use free online resources like Anchor and Weebly to create content. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on my free Weebly site at instructionaldesignunleashed.weebly.com. See you next time.